Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I have to say, John, it's getting to be awfully flattering, all the people who were inspired by listening to Gamble On and want to be just like us and have decided to get into sports gambling podcasting. Uh, about a week ago, former NFL player and ESPN radio star Mike Golick launched a podcast in conjunction with DraftKings. And this week we get the news that New York radio personality Mike Francesa is doing a podcast of his own with Bet Rivers. Forget that slogan, be like Mike. Clearly all the Mikes want to be like us. Uh, John, do you have a message for Golik or Francesa or anyone else who dares to set foot on our podcasting turf? Well, in the interest of full disclosure, I still haven't listened to any podcast, not even this one. (laughs) So I'm probably probably not an expert, but still, my advice would be to have a co-host who knows how to plan a show and edit it. You know, once (laughs) you have that, it's really not all that difficult, I can confirm. But um, now I'd be almost tempted to listen to Francesca's version, especially if he does picks. You know, say what you will about us, Eric, but our bets have been atrocious for the last six (laughs) or eight months. Yeah, we were honest about it and even try to provide a laugh or two regarding our ineptitude while actually literally down to the last dollar or unit, uh, you know, chronicling our misery. So we've got that going for us at least. So right. now, Mike, I've been listening to him in small doses in the New York area for more than 30 years. And I'm pretty sure that his next self-deprecating remark will be his first, you know, <laughs> and he's had some remarkably inept streaks of NFL picks in particular in some years. But oddly enough, you only hear about his record doing a rare hot start. Oh, so yeah. now, well, wait, wait, did I just get an email asking if we'd like to have Mike on either Mike uh, as our <laughs> guest next week? Pardon me while I send an immediate and enthusiastic <laughs> yes as a reply. Heck, I'd even go on one of their podcasts. <laughs> yeah, look, we're nothing if not uh, two-faced about all of this. Um, <laughs> I have to say, I've never understood the appeal of Francesa. Um, but honestly, I've never understood the appeal of about 95% of all sports talk radio guys. Um, there, are, there are some exceptions, but I find the majority of them are designed to appeal to the dumbest and or drunkest listeners. But, uh, you know, now here come Francesa and Golik trying to be podcasters. And uh, if they're listening, Mike and other Mike, let me tell you guys something. I've been podcasting since 2009. And as my first podcast co-host, Bill Detloff, used to like to say, podcasting since 2009 and not rich yet. Uh, Whereas Francesa (laughs) and Golik surely are getting paid more for their first month of podcast than I've made in my entire life. Uh, But, you know, I guess my dad was right when he kept telling me life's not fair. And this is just another example of that. Yeah, well, I mean, with Francesa, it depends how you you approach him. You know, mm. he'll make the occasional call, like where someone calls in, and this is years ago, Yankees Tigers playoff series, and the guy's asking about the eighth inning strategy of the Tiger bullpen and why they put Al Albuquerque in there in the eighth or whatever. And apparently, Mike had fallen asleep uh, the night before <laughs> in that game, right. so he he yells at the caller and bounces him off the call, saying. Don't come on here making up some stupid name like Al Albuquerque. There's no such person. You know? <laughs> and then it's really funny because he's really angry about it, even though there was indeed a pitcher named Al Albuquerque. I mean, it's a strange name, but that's the name of the guy. And so then there's a commercial break and you realize that imagine working in studio with him and you have to explain to him, Mike, um, yeah, the, the, that's the guy's name, Al Albuquerque. He pitched in the eighth inning. And then he comes back on the air. But instead of saying, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't realize. No, he just says, you know what? This is really confusing. I know him as Albert Albuquerque. So I, I didn't, when he said Al Albuquerque, I didn't know what that was. If that to me is comedy gold. So for those little occasional ones, I, I find it worth it. So it depends how you look at the show, really. All right. And and I guess you've won me over in, in one sense on Francesa right. because of the, one of the other famous clips of his that I know yeah. is from a few years ago where there was video going as he was doing his radio show and he actually dozed off for a second on air. Yes, yes. So as, as a person who struggles with uh, some degree <laughs> of undiagnosed right. narcolepsy, especially in the evening, him falling asleep during the game and then trying to talk about it the next day. I, I at least find him a little bit more relatable now. I'll give him that. 
Yeah, in fact, uh, a Phillies reference for you when the, the the Phillies got Cliff Lee, a great free agent pitcher, mm-hmm. many years ago, and Mike was sort of condescending to his audience, explaining that Cliff Lee being the only elite pitcher available in the starting pitcher market was fungible. And so that that's why the Yankees had to get him because he's completely fungible and there's nothing. And again, he came back after commercial break and said something about, you know, how fungible does not mean fungible or whatever. And, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just tremendous stuff, you know? And, it sounds like if you're prepared to sort of do a mix of laughing with him and laughing at him, you mm. can, you can enjoy his show. Yes. Um, but, and now that you brought up the fungible things, if we ever do have Mike Francesa <laughs> on our podcast, we're definitely getting his take on non-fungible tokens. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure he's an expert on that. Yes. Or at least he'll uh, pretend to be for as long as we have him uh, try answering questions about it. There you go. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 186 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 185 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Yes, that's right. This is our 186th episode 183 more than that Johnny come lately wannabe Mike Golick has done. Uh, please give us a five-star rating. And while you're at it, give all the ripoff poser podcasters a zero star rating. Oh, amen. And uh, coming up a little later in the show, I'm going to be joined by World Series of Poker broadcaster and Bet Rivers ambassador, David Tuckman. He'll share his thoughts on both the upcoming WSOP and on betting on the NHL as the regular season enters its home stretch. But first, it's been a frantically madcap busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. It's been a couple of years since the U.S. bet staff has had much of an opportunity to go check out the brick-and-mortar sportsbook scene for a major betting event, but March Madness, with the Omicron wave of COVID winding down, presented a perfect opportunity to get back in that game, and John was one of three writers among our crew who did just that. John went to Atlantic City on Thursday to see what a few different sportsbooks were like as the games tipped off on St. Patrick's Day, so I'll let him share his observations on that, uh, but first I'll pass along the observations of two other colleagues. On Thursday, Chris Altruda toured not sports books, but Chicago sports bars, where thanks to mobile betting, it's not much different than going to a sports book. Uh, there was plenty of betting talk as well as bracket talk and some sort of progressive box pool. Uh, on Sunday, Chris went to an actual sports book in Illinois because that's the only place he could legally bet the Illinois-Houston game. Illinois has this utterly bizarre rule where you can't bet on in-state college teams via mobile, only at brick and mortar. Chris found the whole experience rather lackluster. Meanwhile, our DMV correspondent, Bennett Conlon, checked out Caesars Sportsbook at Capital One Arena in D.C., and one person he interviewed there compared the atmosphere to a Vegas sportsbook. Overall, it doesn't seem like the in-person sports betting experience is all the way back, both because of lingering pandemic sensibilities and because most states also have the mobile option. But I wasn't at a sports book in person. You were, John. So tell me a little about what you saw. Well, in New Jersey, you can bet on all the March Madness games, except the ones that involve Rutgers and Seton Hall, and the two games involving this year's Cinderella, St. Peter's University and Jersey City. So, you know, remember that more than 90% of the betting handle in New Jersey still comes uh, via mobile devices and desktop computers. But I still, I thought maybe the combination of mostly post-COVID euphoria and St. Patrick's Day, there might be more of a buzz than I saw. You know, the three casino sports books I checked out, including the larger ones at Caesars and at Borgata, they had most or all the tables full, but there was more standing room than I would have guessed. Um, also, my theory that people over 50 are particularly going to go wild in this new era because they wisely were cautious when they needed to be, you know, as opposed to younger people who didn't have as much risk. But, well, the overwhelming majority of the crowds were really young bros who, who were betting in sync on the same point spread or over under line, it seemed like, you know, you didn't need a betting sheet to know, for instance, when the Michigan first round game went over late in the game. Yeah. The crowd made that kind of obvious. Uh, who had that bet? Right. Uh, now maybe the older crowd will wait until the summer arrives to get their freak on. I mean, it was gloomy last Thursday, which left for an eerily empty boardwalk at lunchtime. I mean, like you could look a hundred yards down and not see a single person uh, alive. So it was strange, but uh, so I guess the geezer's time will come, I think, but it's just not yet. 
you may be the oldest person who's ever uttered the phrase get their freak on uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure too many uh, in your age category know that one so well done by you there um <laughs> It's interesting how, um, thanks to the availability of mobile betting in so many states, there just isn't that huge a difference anymore between the sports book experience and the sports bar experience. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the mobile is undoubtedly limiting the crowds at the casino sports books somewhat. You know, pre-PASPA, if you wanted to make a social experience of betting on games and watching the games, you and your buddies all went to a sports book in Vegas and hung out there for several hours. And it was a particular kind of scene. And, and for big games, it was bound to be packed. Um, now, look, I, I live about 20 minutes from Parks Casino. I also live five minutes from several sports bars and zero minutes from my living room. Um, If I want to get together with a couple of buddies and bet on some March Madness games and have a drink and all that, I can invite them to my house. We can go to a bar or we can go to parks. The betting experience is kind of all the same. I would imagine at least nine out of every 10 people who would be at the casino if their state only had retail betting, that nine out of 10 are are choosing not to go to the casino now. Um, So I think the sports books now are mostly attracting the crowds who want to bet on sports and sweat sports and play casino games and, and make a day of it. Um, the sports book scene for March Madness, I would guess with mobile betting out there, it's, it's never quite going to be what it once was. Yeah, that's interesting because, uh, yeah, the, the crowd was, you know, obviously into the games and all that and they were betting, but as you say that, man, look, if we're being honest about it in the Northeast, you know, 10 years ago, you go to that sports bar during March Madness, a lot of those people are betting on the games. They weren't doing it legally, but they were betting (laughs) anyway. So uh, you have that. So uh, yeah, I I hadn't thought about that. What's the difference between the sports bar and the sports book that I went to? I I guess the percentage of people betting on the games is a little higher, uh, but the enthusiasm isn't any different because there's plenty of sports fans who don't gamble. So if you go to a, especially the local team involved, right? There are people who are living and dying on every basket or, or whatever, but it they don't, doesn't matter if they bet on it or not. And so the, in the end, does it matter that the sports book patrons are more likely risking money and the sports bar people are more likely risking their, their passion and their emotion. Right. It, it's the same result, I think. So yeah, there, I guess there's no difference at this point in 2022. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a quick uh, March Madness side topic, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, you might've seen John that Caesar sent out a press email sharing the final four picks of all five Backstreet Boys and uh, (laughs) offering a prop on each of the five possible four-leg parlays, (laughs) like you can now bet on this guy's four teams or that guy's Uh four teams. Now, I'm going to set the line on the number of Backstreet Boys first names that John can name. I'm putting the line at 0.5, and I'm taking the under. Do I win? I was going to say Joey, but I'm not sure if that's a Backstreet Boy. No, Uh there's a Joey in NSYNC. In sync, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, then I know that I know that group better uh, than. Ooh, could you uh, could you give me could you would you hit over one point five on NSYNC sync then? Because of course there's one very famous mm. NSYNC member. Uh, Justin. There I you think. go. You got it. All right. And there's a Lance, I believe. Right? Yeah. Wow. Three NSYNCs. Oh my gosh. Okay. The yeah. over two point five betters are going nuts <laughs> on their yeah, exactly. huge return. Right. <laughs> Who's the famous Backstreet Boy? Was it one of the Wahlbergs or something? Or uh, no, no, there was a Wahlberg in uh, New Kids on the Block. Okay. Um, okay. That was Donnie Wahlberg. And right. uh, by the way, I'm not a I'm not a boy band expert, although it might <laughs> it's starting to sound like I know my stuff. But uh, I'm not sure that any of the Backstreet Boys is super famous on their own. But I guess mm-hmm. Nick, uh, what's his last name? He has a brother, Aaron, who had his own separate career. Nick something is probably the most famous, but yeah, none of them broke out the way Justin Timberlake did. Interesting. Sort of. All right. We should probably get back to uh, the gambling <laughs> industry. <laughs> exactly. Um, for our second story this week, we'll talk about some revenue numbers as they were delivered in both Pennsylvania and Michigan since last week's show. And there was a surprising common theme. The sports books came out behind in February. In Pennsylvania, this was the first time this has happened. And it's not that the betters actually beat the book straight up. The books had a 3.7% hold rate, which is well below the average, but still means betters are losing more than they're winning. However, while the Pennsylvania operators collected $22.2 million in gross revenue, they paid out $22.6 million in promotional credits, adding up to a loss of a little over $440,000. 
Seven of the state's 14 online books took a loss for the month, with the biggest losers being DraftKings and BetMGM. In Michigan, this marked the third month ever in which books came out behind after promotional credits were distributed, losing almost $4 million total, including a $7.1 million loss for DraftKings. Uh, Caesars also did poorly. Interestingly, the likes of FanDuel and Barstool came out ahead in both states. As listeners can probably surmise, the negative results surely had a little something to do with it being Super Bowl month and sports books running extra promotions as the big game approached. So we might not see a bloodbath quite like this again anytime soon. What do you make of this, John? Are these sports books just giving away too many freebies, especially considering these aren't newly launched states? And is DraftKings in real danger? Well, you know, from the barrage of ads that assault my senses on a daily basis in the New York City metro area, uh, it seems like they think the marketplace isn't close to being mature yet. And I must say, I do know a lot of family and friends who are kind of aware that betting is legal now around here, but they're not really into gambling. So the question becomes, even if they sign up, will they ever, you know, start losing money so the sportsbook operators can make money? I'm not really sold on that idea, but that's why I stand on my thought that there will be a huge merger or two coming sometime in 2022. Something has to give, but... And also, I got to say that, you know, I used to believe that huge companies always acted rationally because, well, of course they do. You know, then I was involved in an 18 month investigation around 2007, 2008 in a strange condo and golf course venture in the Meadowlands landfills or what normal people call massive garbage dumps. The ones where they buried a body, I think, in season one of The Sopranos. So the whole thing went belly up and one of the big name banks lost hundreds of millions of dollars. And I asked this bankruptcy attorney, you know, how this bank could possibly believe this nutty plan would ever work and how out of the norm the whole idea struck me. He said, oh, you have no idea. The big banks do incredibly stupid things all the time. Nothing unusual about this at all. Well, a few months later, the world's economy cratered for a while, thanks to, yes, countless reckless and stupid decisions made by the captains of the economy of the U.S. and elsewhere. At least I wasn't surprised when it happened. It's a long-winded way of saying, no, I'm not convinced this ends well for some big spenders in this major expansion of the U.S. sports betting industry. What do I know? Well, you know, a little something about this, it seems. Yeah, that's that's a pretty interesting perspective on it. Um, you know, we, we've talked plenty, John, about how you and I, uh, neither overly sharp nor overly square sports bettors, I would say, yeah. uh, how we are both comfortably ahead lifetime, oh, but yeah. only because of the promos and freebies. If, <laughs> if you take those away, you know, look at our podcast betting bankroll. The books probably have, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, something like a 5% hold on us uh, without yeah. the promos. Um yeah. I guess the vast majority of bettors aren't like us, though, or, or else every month would look like what February looked like. Yeah. The vast majority do not practice proper bankroll management of just risking like one to two percent of their total betting bankroll on each wager. Rather, they sign up, they get the bonus, they start with that nice boost to their bankroll, and then they bet like half their roll on two bets. And if it doesn't pan out, uh they redeposit and just keep betting large amounts, which, you know, it's fine if you can afford it. Um, but yeah, I, it's a little strange to me the way they keep giving out these free promos and, and basically free money. Um, as you said, you know, it seems that they still believe there are customers out there that haven't signed up yet that they can reach. I guess that's guiding their philosophy, but like, for example, DraftKings, um, still giving everyone in every state a free 50 bucks last week with uh, Gonzaga's opening round game against Georgia state. Gonzaga was supposed to be something like a minus 2,500 favorite. They made it even money up to $50 at this point. You know, I have a DK account. I've had it in Pennsylvania for a couple of years. I very much appreciate the free money. Um, but if they didn't give me promos like that, I'm not quitting DraftKings. I, I use it for DFS. I use it for sports betting. In terms of buying my loyalty, they're not getting much bang for their buck with that one. Um, I, I'm surprised that they wouldn't limit freebies like this to the newer states only. I mean, I get that $50 is nothing to them, but if they have a million customers jumping on that $50, even if half of them give that money right back, it's still a big hit to their bottom line. So I don't know, one way or another, what FanDuel is doing is working. What DraftKings is doing isn't working as well. And I have no idea how much longer they can keep losing money. But I would think February's numbers would be a wake-up call to DraftKings that they might want to rein in the promos after March Madness is over. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, certainly your theory that uh, some consolidation 
could be a big consolidation could be coming soon. Uh, yeah. If it keeps going this way for DraftKings, uh, that gets all the more likely. Yeah. Hopefully DraftKings is not listening to this. Well, they probably are, but uh, yeah, I mean, I got the 50 bucks free also, and I probably bet about $50, uh, maybe a total of like five games. Mm-hmm. So maybe I won 20 and I lost 30. So I'm down 10, except I'm not because I'm, <laughs> right. I'm, I got 50 for free. So yeah, I have more money in my account now than I did before, even though my picks weren't very good. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the thing that also surprises me that there doesn't seem to be some kind of a, a algorithm to detect, you know, who do we want to give the 50 bucks right. to? Right. I mean, clearly, if they had that, we wouldn't be getting the 50 buck offer. Give it <laughs> right. to some people who are going to blow it and clearly lose money. You know, they I can't believe they can't keep track, better track of this and say, you know, this guy doesn't bet enough money total and he's not losing enough money. Why are we going to give him any help? I, I don't uh, it's just me, but yeah, they and they seemed on that path. Whatever the big freebie right before this was, I can't remember what the bet was, but remember we all got limited a little. I think I got limited mm, yeah, to like sorry. five bucks. You got limited <laughs> to like ten bucks. Yes. Whatever it was, that yeah, it seemed like they were adjusting the algorithm for people like us, and then and then they go back to a nope. You can, I was like surprised when I saw this promo. I was like, all right, I'm going to try and bet the max, but I bet they're going to tell me I can bet five bucks or something. And nope, mm. fifty dollar bet went through. So yeah. I'll take it, but uh, it, it doesn't seem the start, smartest strategy on their end. Yeah, well, let's say big companies do stupid things all the time. I've learned that. <laughs> there you go. Yep. All right. Our third story this week looks at the latest development in a saga we've covered a time or two in the past. It concerns the legality of daily fantasy sports in New York State, which has been something of a gray area dating back to the DFS boom period of the mid-2010s. On Tuesday, the New York State Court of Appeals voted four to three that, yes, DFS is legal in New York. Chief Judge Janet DeFiori wrote, because ample support exists for the legislature's determination that the DFS contests are properly characterized as lawful skill-based competitions for prizes under our precedent, plaintiffs have not met their burden to demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that DFS is unconstitutional. As you wrote on nyonlinegambling.com, John, One of the dissenting judges made reference to Casablanca, appropriate during Oscars week, I suppose. Uh, It seems a lot of this comes down to continuing uncertainty over what is or isn't considered gambling. But for now, DFS is legal in New York. Not that DraftKings or FanDuel ever stopped offering it there anyway. uh, John, can you provide further color on the decision? And is this the end of it? Or is there a possibility of further legal challenges? Now, this should be it. This is the state's top court, and it overruled a lower-level New York Supreme Court decision, which, of course, isn't confusing at all that New York Supreme Court is not supreme, but uh, <laughs> right. that's, uh, it is what it is. Um, basically, the groups opposed to legal gambling in general, they prevailed twice in court in New York, but like an old-school TV game show, the only round that really matters is the last one, <laughs> and they lost there, and that's yeah. pretty much the end of it. I thought the dissent was pretty good in terms of the many previous precedents in New York for expansion of gambling having to be first approved by voters. You know, that includes the awarding of up to three New York City area casino licenses later this year. The one problem with that is that, if I recall correctly, voters did not get a say in moving horse race betting online almost two decades ago. So why do you need to do it with this? So anyway, the two opinions also featured references to Giants quarterback Daniel Jones's contract, whether that is a gamble. Yeah, you know, kind of. Uh, and how a gambler can't intervene in Tom Brady coming out of retirement, which I would say is like 99.9% true, I think. Right. Um, but this also backs up my theory that a lot of legal cases that come before judges are kind of boring. But sports and gambling aren't boring, which is why we're here after all. Right. So when a judges get a case like this, they can't resist some rhetorical flourishes. It seems to keep them entertained. All right. Well, first thing I'll say on this is just uh, not not part of the main discussion, but in continuing the tradition you started by admitting you'd never seen The Godfather, which, uh, if if memory serves, made me audibly gasp a little. Uh, <laughs> I'll now admit that I've never seen Casablanca, uh, which wow. will, I'm sure make all of our 85 and older listeners gasp. Wow. Um, <laughs> I actually think I've maybe never seen a single Bogart movie, unless there's something I'm forgetting. Huh. Actually, no, wait. Uh did I see the Maltese Falcon when I was a kid? Maybe. Maybe I saw part of it. Maybe I saw, I don't know. It's all, it's all a blur. But definitely never seen Casablanca. Anyway, um, so um, I was covering the DFS space along with the poker space several years ago when DFS players gathered in New York to protest the threat to prevent DFS players from having access in New York. 
at the time, losing New Yorkers would have been devastating to DraftKings and FanDuel's business. Now, DFS is such a small part of how they make money that it probably wouldn't have been devastating if they'd lost this case. But I'm glad they won. I just think logically, even if, you know, maybe through technicalities and legal mumbo jumbo, you could explain why a judge voted against DFS being legal. Just logically, if online sports betting is fully legal in your state, you don't have much of a leg to stand on to say DFS is illegal. Um, And it's sort of turning into an interesting side effect of sports betting legalization that DFS legalization has come along for the ride in a few places where it wasn't legal before, most notably Arizona and Louisiana in whatever it is, 57 out of 64 parishes or something like that. Um, I believe we're now down to just five states that don't allow DFS. Hawaii, Idaho, Montana, Washington, and the weird one, Nevada. Um, That remains now maybe the strangest gambling legality issue in any state. Uh, Weirder maybe even than the in-state college betting in Illinois that we mentioned earlier, that you can fly into Nevada, gamble in every conceivable form, except you can't fill out a DFS lineup until you leave the state. It's basically the gambling equivalent of, Kyrie Irving can sit maskless in the stands at a Nets home game, but he can't play in the game. Although, of course, uh, as we record this on Thursday morning, that's finally about to change, it seems. Uh, Yeah, I kind of respect the states that just don't allow any of this stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. most of them were were allowing DFS, but not sports betting for a number of years. I mean... Come on. I mean, it's a good lobbying <laughs> right. job by DFS companies. Yeah. Oh, we're not gambling. We're, you don't you don't uh, risk money on a bet. You do an entry fee. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. That's good. You know, so I, I never got that. So, you know, I'll, I'll take the Hawaii and the other states where, you know, they just don't want gambling. I mean, that may be naive. I mean, I, there's a lot of reasons to question that logic, but at least it's internally consistent. That's right. the problem I had. I mean, although, you know, if you're doing something stupid, I guess being consistent is not a, it's not a badge of honor either. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, but I, yeah, I'm with you. I, I respect the consistency and uh, yeah, it is funny how quickly the DFS folks change their tune. It's not gambling. It's not gambling. It's not gambling. Oh, sports gambling is legal now. It's gambling. It's gambling. Yeah. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview. If you're looking to bring onto your podcast, a guest who can talk about both poker and hockey, who do you call? Well, First, you call Daniel Negreanu. But if he's not available, you call David Tuckman. Uh, David is a veteran poker broadcaster and player who's handled play-by-play duties on the WSOP live streams dating back to 2011. And he's a sports betting ambassador for Bet Rivers and Play Sugarhouse with a particular affinity for sharing NHL picks. And he joins us now. David, welcome to Gamble On. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, so let's start with some WSOP talk uh, since the schedule came out a few weeks ago. I'm curious for your thoughts on the venue change. Uh, The World Series was at the Rio from 2005 until last year, but now it's moving to the Strip at both Bally's and Paris. From your perspectives as both a player and a broadcaster, is this more good news than bad news, would you say? I would think there's more pros than cons in this particular uh, spot. I, I think the Rio is a little bit dated. I think, you know, being off Strip made it, you know, slightly less exciting you know, albeit still the World Series of Poker, it's still our Super Bowl, so it's still, you know, incredibly exciting no matter where it is. But, you know, to me, when you go back to the days when it was on Fremont Street and downtown, it was kind of exciting. It was all there. You could walk around. Uh, I think it's really exciting to be back on the strip. You know, obviously there's some logistics nightmares that could ensue, and uh, I'm hopeful that they are, you know, they foresee these and they are coming up with good solutions for it. But, you know, I'm really excited. Uh, like I said, I think the Rio is somewhat dated and, and to be at Paris and be at Bally's and, you know, right in the thick of things, which is really where those two casinos are. I think it's exciting. Do you have any particular insights just into how the two venues of it all will work? Have, have you been in touch with the World Series people about how they're sort of staggering and using both venues or? No, my 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 job description when it comes to working the World Series of Poker is really just about the live streams and, and the productions and the shows that eventually end up on CBS Sports. So, you know, in terms of where everything is going to be, that I don't know yet. Um, I might be in touch fairly soon, and just in terms of at least knowing where the, uh, you know, 
the the quote unquote Amazon room would be, you know, where the the uh, the, the platinum games are played and, and where the final tables are played. That I don't know yet. Um, you know, my assumption would be that they're going to have like satellites and cash games in one place and then the tournaments in the other place because they've got to move. Right. But I don't know yet. OK. Yes, I was going to say, uh, when it comes to WSOP, let's forget about 2020 and 2021, but that's probably a general observation of life in general. Let's just forget about those two years. But uh, back to WSOP. So 2019 WSOP, 2022 WSOP. Is it going to be, you think, you know, obviously the logistics are different, but in terms of the excitement, the number of players, the drama, whatever, is it going to be just as good as 2019, even better? Is it going to be very similar and what's your feel for how big this is going to be compared to that last normal time we had i think 2022 is going to blow the top off of the uh yeah. the pot so to speak we saw in limited fashion 2021 that there was an incredible demand for people to get out of the house and travel and play mm-hmm. poker once again live yeah. and you know obviously then then covid kind of reared up its ugly head once again and late in the year but I think now that the borders are open and, you know, it seems like everybody that wants to be vaccinated is vaccinated and we're kind of, you know, sort of finally getting back to our lives. I just think the demand is over the top. So uh, I I think you're going to get an amazing amount of travel. I know from my own perspective, just trying to take my kids on a vacation or something or my wife, you know, I go on Airbnb and I can't find something. I just can't. I mean, there's literally no the demand is is through the roof. And I think that's going to carry over to poker even more so. So I am expecting record numbers this summer at the World Series of Poker. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. Kind of like the uh, well, I'm going to skip it this year. I'll go next year. Like we don't know what next year is going to be. I mean, hopefully it's going to be even better. But yeah, I think if, if you can go, you go. So I'm not that surprised that you recognize that. Yeah, this could be this could be better than ever. That'd be great. Yeah, I think, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I think there is a lot of, I think for a lot of people out there who either changed their jobs or got divorced or just, I think they looked at 2000 and, you know, the last couple of years and they just like said, you know what, I, I only have one life and, and I don't know, you never, you never know what's beyond, you know, outside of door A, um, you know, what's tomorrow. So I'm going to shoot my shot, you know, this, this summer, let's do it because I don't know what's next year. So let's just do it. And um, for a lot of people who a little bit of cabin fever and going crazy, they're just like, let's go. 2022 is here. Finally. (laughs) All right. Let's turn our attention to the NHL. Uh, The trade deadline passed on Monday. There weren't any paradigm shifting moves. Uh, The futures odds don't seem to have changed too much. Um, I look at the Stanley Cup futures and I see the avalanche at about four to one at most sports books to win it all. And my initial reaction is to say that heading into the playoffs, Nobody should ever be four to one. There's just too much randomness in the NHL playoffs. But are the Avs an exception? Or are they that good? Uh, or, or is there another team with longer odds that you like? Um, I, the West is kind of wide open. Um, there's a few teams I do like actually at longer odds, just from a value perspective. I, I mean, I think the Colorado Avalanche are, you know, undoubtedly probably the best team in the league, but they're not so much better. They have depth issues. They, um, you know, they, they didn't re-sign a few players. They brought in a couple of guys at the deadline, but I don't know if they're really, you know, going to move the needle, so to speak. So they're really reliant on their top players and their goaltender, Darcy Kemper, to stay healthy. And he's, he's battled some health issues in the past. So I, I don't believe they're a value at, at plus 400, at four to one. I, I mean, I think when you, you know, you look at Calgary and, and you look at what, uh, you know, Minnesota did at the deadline by bringing in Flurry and certainly – People in Vegas are familiar with Flurry's antics in the playoffs and how good, how hot he can get. I, I don't think there are value there. And then, you know, the East has just got, you know, just beasts in the East. And I think that's probably the reason why the Avalanche are four to one is because the West is a little bit of an easier path to get to the finals. Right. That makes sense that I just wrote an article about the NFL and, and the sort of apparent imbalance with all the best teams looking like they're in the AFC and yet the NFC teams have the best Super Bowl odds uh, in a lot of cases. I guess it's because the path there is, is so much easier. So that's that's what you think is is factoring into the abs being so low that they just have this easier path to get there. Yeah, because when you look at the West, you just think, okay, Calgary has played amazing this year and they've got a goaltender in Markstrom who's really, really good. 
Uh, I, I do like Minnesota. I'm not sure if they have enough to get, get it done, but they've got some really interesting pieces. I like what they did at the deadline. So, you know, if, if Flurry gets hot and we've all seen him get hot before, you know, they could make a run. They could be players. The Blues still have some talent there. I, I don't know if they have enough to get up the top. So, you know, if Colorado stays healthy and um, I, I know their captain was injured, but he's expected back for the playoffs. And, and if he's if he's healthy, they are they are a formidable force. It's just a matter of depth for them. All right. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested in hockey betting. You know, I covered a lot of uh, Yankee games in the late 1990s at Yankee Stadium. And, you know, you get to sit in the dugout with Joe Torre, you know, as a legendary player and manager, even at the time. And writers always like the storyline before the game of, you know, well, you're, you're rallied from three runs down in the ninth last night. So I'll kind of momentum be have going in. And, you know, Joe would just calmly listen to the question and just say, momentum is who's today's starting pitcher. And that was it. Like there, it, you've lost four in a row. You won four in a row. It doesn't matter if you have the better starting pitcher that night, you're the favorite. And obviously betters factor that in uh, heavily, much more so than home away or anything else, really. Uh, now, hockey goaltenders are obviously the most important player, but I'm kind of assuming they're not quite as important as a starting pitcher. So how much do you factor in goaltending, whether it's on a game by game basis or futures? Like you mentioned, Calgary, really good goaltender, a little underrated. You know, are they a better pick because their goaltender is a little better or is it really not that much of a factor in, in game to game and even in futures? Uh, I mean, goaltending in the NHL is incredibly important, but it's also incredibly difficult to predict. Mm. It's a weird thing. I mean, is it as important as starting pitching? Probably. Uh, you know, it's the only player on the ice who's on the ice for 60 minutes. And, you know, we saw it last year, the Pittsburgh Penguins, a really good team. They lost to my New York Islanders simply because Tristan Jari was terrible and he got badly outplayed. Um, you know, Thatcher Demko a couple of years ago basically took Vancouver to game seven versus Vegas. Uh, they were getting destroyed night in and night out. So, you know, hot goaltending can do it. The problem is, you know, good luck trying to protect that. I mean, if St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup on the back of um, Jordan Bennington a few years ago. <laughs> and Jordan Bennington went into that year as the fourth stringer and is now basically the backup. So, you know, from year to year, goaltending is incredibly inconsistent. Um, you know, we have a, a few goaltenders that, you know, certainly couldn't get hot. And that's the question of, you know, who is going to get hot at the right time, whether is it is it, um, you know, Shesterkin in New York, uh, Markstrom in Calgary, Flurry in Minnesota, you know, Vasilevsky kind of, you know, he's just great every year. There aren't many goaltenders out there that are consistently amazing. But I do think, I mean, from a betting perspective, who is pitching? is so important, but who is, who is in net that day is also very, very important. So I, I do think that makes a, a big thing. I just think, like I said, I just think pitching might be a little bit easier to predict than goaltending going forward. Um, from a value perspective, I like Calgary, but I don't, I mean, they're plus 750 right now in most books and I don't love that. Um, you know, from a value perspective, I kind of like Pittsburgh. I, I think Pittsburgh is, I'm very familiar with them because I watch a lot of Islander games. And I do watch a lot of penguin games and they're, they're really, really good. Uh, they have depth and they kind of uh, made an under the radar pickup in Ricard Raquel from Anaheim who can, you know, who can put some goals in the net. Uh, they brought in Jeff Carter last year, who's playing great. Tristan Jari has been really, really good this year. So, you know, which Jari do we get in the playoffs? And if he can be hot, you know, I, I think you can get Pittsburgh at about plus 1600 right now. So there's some value there. Minnesota, I mentioned, they're plus 2,000, plus 2,100 in some places. There's some value there as well. Those are a couple of the places that I do like. Um, I was on Carolina earlier on in the season when I can get them at plus 2,200. Now at plus 850, I don't like them as much. Yeah, Shesterkin, you mentioned, uh, he's been tremendous all year until he laid a couple of eggs lately. Is that maybe a guy hitting a wall that you would want to shy away from, uh, either on a nightly basis or, or on futures? Or is the talent there so much that, you know, everybody has a couple of bad games and you just shake it off? I mean, we'll, we'll see a lot in the next 15 games or so. I, I think the East is kind of strange. The, in years past, the battle to make the playoffs – for teams five through say 10 has been really, really hard. Mm. And you have seen teams playing playoff hockey for the last 15, 20 games of the season because they had to this year in the East. It's been really weird because essentially the playoffs have been set since like Christmas. Yeah. Um, the Islanders were um, surprisingly awful this year and just dug themselves such a hole that no matter how good they are, they can't dig themselves out. And the flyers have been terrible. They, they were, people thought they might, 
compete for the playoffs. So basically the eight spots have already been set. It's just a question of positioning. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering how much weight to put into the games of, of late. Mm. I mean, Shesterkin is, is a ridiculously talented goalie and, and uh, being an Islander fan, I hate the Rangers with a passion. <laughs> so it hurts me to say it, but the, he is good. Uh, not only should he win the Vezina, but he should, I think he should win the Hart Trophy as the MVP. Because mm-hmm. I think without him, the Rangers aren't in the playoffs. He's that good. Um, you know, we'll see over the next 12, 15 games, though, you know, how he plays. I think the most important thing for the Rangers is really to – I mean, if I'm them, I give him some rest. I make sure that he is a very well-rested goalie going into the playoffs because the Rangers are only going to go as far as Shesterkin takes them. All right. Great stuff. Uh, as uh, someone who has barely watched any hockey this year, in part because I'm a Flyers fan, so there wasn't much reason to watch, but also in part because I don't tend to make time for hockey until almost the playoffs. Um, I definitely uh, learned a lot from this, uh, have some betting ideas that I may uh, spend some money on going forward. Uh, so we appreciate your time, David. I'll let our listeners know they can find you on Twitter at Tuck on Sports. That's T U C K, even though you spell your name T U C H. Uh, it's all very confusing, but at Tuck on Sports with a K. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, David. Thanks for having me. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And last week was technically a losing week, but it's too soon to really know for sure with some March Madness bets still hanging in the balance. Um, Here are the bets that got graded in the past week. John's bet from a couple of months ago on Auburn to win the national title is a loser, but fortunately it only costs us 25 bucks. Um, Three other small losses. John had $50 each on golfers Lowry and Laird to finish first among their respective countrymen. Neither bet one, and I had twenty dollars on nine to one boxing underdog Steve Rolls against Edgar Berlanga. I still love the bet, uh, but not the official result as it went the distance, and the decision could have gone either way, but it did go to Berlanga. So that's one hundred forty-five dollars worth of losses. But we won back a hundred dollars with my over bet on Murray State versus San Francisco. We needed over one thirty-six. They got to one forty-six in regulation, and then added thirty-three more in overtime. So we ultimately dropped $45 last week, but we also have two interesting March Madness bets carrying over. John put $40 on Kansas to make the final four a few weeks back at plus 275. They're now minus 175. So we're a favorite there. Um, Although uh, for what it's worth, only one out of five Backstreet Boys is picking Kansas to make the final four. So (laughs) if that concerns you. Um, And uh, I bet last week on Texas Tech and Houston to be eliminated in the same round at plus 320. And they've both made it to the third round where they're both in toss-up games that start 20 minutes apart on Thursday night. Uh, Houston is a one-and-a-half-point underdog against Arizona. Texas Tech is a one-point favorite over Duke. So that could be a thrilling sweat as we root for either both to win or both to lose. Uh, Anyway, we're currently down by $2,978. We have $960 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $6,062 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Well, you know, your boxing bet was similar to my golf bet on Irishman Shane Lowry, where I will point out is very much not a countryman with the 10 or 11 English players who are also right, on the bet. Right. You know, ask an Englishman if the Irish are a little feisty <laughs> when it comes to that. So anyway, it didn't win, but Lowry had a share of the English-Irish lead on the back nine and placed second in that grouping with a nice price attached. So no shame in that bet. So we we gave it a good shot and it didn't quite get there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the PGA Tour this week's in Texas for a match play event that started on Wednesday. So we'll skip that one. But with this offbeat turn of a tournament and then a minor one next week, it's time to check the futures board for the Masters in early April as nothing's really going to change until then. Now, I had seven players I really like to win, but I'd like the odds on only three of them. Now, picking three players to win means you've locked in two losers, but I'll be very disappointed if we don't get a late Sunday sweat out of any of these three come Masters weekend. Uh, so 40 units on Aussie Cameron Smith at plus 1600. I think he's ready and his short game is otherworldly, which is key at Augusta National. He had a big result there last year. Um, 40 more on, at plus 1800 on Brooks Kepka, who looked healthy and focused in winning his first match in Texas on Wednesday. 
And finally, 20 on actor Owen Wilson and Happy Gilmore's caddy lookalike Will Zalatoris at plus <laughs> 3,500. Uh, he thrives in the biggest events and was second on Augusta a year ago. All three odds were as good or better, by the way, at DraftKings at BetMGM. So remember, shop around. Although if I'm remembering right, I feel like a month or so ago, you picked a couple other golfers for the Masters. Um, so we, so which is oh. fine, which is fine. But I, yeah. I think we now have five out of which oh. only one can win. But that's fine. Yeah. As long as you're feeling good about at least one out oh, of the five. We better get a winner then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. What, yeah. I, I could look up right now who the other yeah, two are. Right. Do you want me to? Are you curious? Or, uh, let's yeah, see. It's up to you. Uh, all right. Uh, all right, so I just I just uh, opened the spreadsheet of past bets. So one of them is Sung J M uh, at plus five thousand, just for ten bucks. We're I guess we're locked into okay. that. But yeah. now the other one is Will Zalatoris at plus thirty three hundred. <laughs> so his price has gone up. I guess you can bet him again if you'd like at thirty five hundred, or do you want to scratch the new Zalatoris bet and just go with the ten dollars at plus thirty three hundred that we had? Uh, yeah, let's go with that. So we'll, we'll we'll scratch the new one. So just yeah. two two new bets this yeah, week, and we've sure. got four total riding into mm. the Masters. Okay, yeah. come on, got to keep track of your own bets, John. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I'm gonna get in one last Oscars bet before Sunday night's award show. Uh, our bets on this so far look like trash. Uh, you asked me to pick either Will Smith at like minus 300 or Benedict Cumberbatch at like plus 300, and I made the wrong choice. It seems, uh, although. In my defense, you specifically were talking about betting $50 of our bankroll either way and $50 to win $16.67 on Will Smith just didn't excite me. But anyway, the Fresh Prince is now around minus 1,000. So we're probably losing that one. And uh, Cumberbatch's Power of the Dog co-star, Cody Smith-McPhee, I bet him for supporting actor a month or so ago when he was a big favorite and had all the momentum. And Troy Kotzer from CODA, has won every award since, and now he's the big favorite, and we're likely to lose a decent chunk on that one. Oh, so am I chasing losses by making another Oscar bet? Perhaps. Um, but I think Coda for Best Picture is a good bet on its own. It has all the momentum. It's moved from 50 to 1 when the odds opened to even money at some sites now. Although at Play Sugar House, we can still get an excellent price of plus 125. And the reason I think it's better than 50-50 to win is this ranked choice voting that they do for best picture. Uh, you don't just pick your favorite movie. The voters rank all 10 nominated films. And CODA seems to be in almost everyone's top three or four, whereas Power of the Dog, as we discussed before, mm. some loved it, some thought it was boring as hell. It's likely to land in eighth, ninth, or even 10th on some ballots. The only other award show that uses ranked choice is the Producers Guild Awards, and CODA won that one. Uh, according to our colleague Jeff Edelstein's research, in nine of the last 12 years, the Producers Guild Award winner also won the Oscar. So it really feels like CODA should be the favorite now, but it's still priced as a slight underdog. We're kind of hedged a little uh, with this. You know, we have our Power of the Dog actor bets. Now we're positioning against Power of the Dog on Best Picture. But I think it's the right move. Let's do $80 to win 100 on CODA. Yeah, you, you almost get me to watch the Oscars on Sunday, but <laughs> not quite. Uh, not quite. Uh, There's a funny joke I saw the other day about, you know, the Oscars were used to be famous for having the those we've lost in the past year. And they have a little clip, uh, you know, right. of those who died. In memoriam, and, yeah. Yep. Yeah, the the wondering was, will the Oscars themselves be in the in memoriam this year? Yeah. That'd be good. <laughs> but anyway, um, so look, I'm even more comfortable now in my baseball futures bet last week of the Brewers to win the NL Central. So I figured I'd shop around for another MLB futures bet as we get close to the season. Now, Max Scherzer just threw five innings in his first spring training start. And when healthy, there's no one better. Uh, he's a Met now, but doesn't matter. I'd take him for 50 units at plus 700 to win the NL Cy Young Award, no matter what team he's on. And the, really, the bottom line, Eric, here is that my latest bets won't cost us any money yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Very important uh, yet. Um, all right. But hopefully they'll win us money later. So I'll finish up with three low risk, high reward boxing bets for us this week. Um, there's a triple header on Showtime Championship Boxing on Sunday and in the main event. 2012 U.S. Olympian Terrell Gachet is an underdog against the undefeated hotshot son of a Hall of Famer Tim Zhu out of Australia, who's making his U.S. debut. And I think people are sleeping on Gachet. Uh, he's rightfully the underdog here, 
but I'm seeing him as high as plus 650 at DraftKings. I think that's way too good a price. Zoo is relatively unproven, untested. I could absolutely see him failing this test. So let's bet $20 to win 130 if Gachet pulls off the upset. On top of that, almost exactly 25 years ago, Costa Zoo, Tim's dad, was undefeated and a massive favorite over veteran Vince Phillips and got stopped in round 10 in the upset of the year. Mm. So let's have a little fun with history repeating. Gachet KO10 specifically pays 100 to 1. We got to take a shot. Five bucks. We won't miss it one bit if it loses. $5 to win 500. And lastly, on the undercard, Michelle Rivera versus Joseph Adorno. Rivera is a minus 380 favorite. That's a fair price. I'm not ready to lay it. Instead, I see that Rivera by KO, TKO, or DQ is plus 350. And I actually think that's the most likely outcome. It's a great price. So let's bet $30 to win 105 on the favored Rivera to win by KO, TKO, or disqualification. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, David Tuckman. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Yeah, Eric, it was back to the future for me in the opening round of the NCAA March Madness men's event last week. Now, long ago, and I mean a quarter century ago, uh, I and current Kentucky coach John Calipari, as well as uh, St. Peter's Kentucky announcers, Ian Eagle and Jim Spernarkel, were all involved in the Jersey Nets in some way. You know, Cal coached them. I traveled the country writing about them. And Ian and Jim were the local broadcast team when Jim was filling in for the legendary hoops voice, Bill Raftery. And as it happens, Spinarco grew up in Jersey City, where many people have just learned St. Peter's is located. And he also went to high school there at Hudson Catholic. You know, I, and meanwhile, has been living in North Jersey since the Calipari Nets era. So the idea that Eagle and Spinarco will be covering a March Madness game involving Kentucky isn't a big shock. But the Jersey City link, no one could have expected that. In fact, St. Peter's had never even won a March Madness game before. And these two announcers got to cover the first two wins for them. Now, CBS knows a good thing when they hear it. Eagle and Spark will be back for the St. Peter's Purdue Sweet 16 game in Philadelphia on Friday night. And I, for one, can't wait to see it and to hear it. And if I get a chance, I think I'll even make a one-hour round trip over to New York State line and back to make a mobile bet on the Peacocks. And with that, until next time, gamble on.